This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Welcome to Real Talk. Jesperson here with John Hicks on the heels of a busy weekend and uh, kicking off a very busy week here on the show, both uh, on the actual episodes as as well as what we have going on all around us. We're less than a week away from the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic, which I'm super excited about. That goes Saturday in St. Albert. You can learn more about that at ryanjesperson.com under the events page. And then, of course, we're going to be launching our Real Talk cask number two bourbon as well this week which is super exciting um, a partnership that we have with a, a group that we're going to introduce you to and our patreon supporters of the show will have first cracks at that some advanced access to that limited run of maple bourbon uh, which is uh, obviously john key to a good old-fashioned yeah and so we're going to be talking <laughs> about old fashions we have a, a an exclusive whiskey tasting coming up in the next couple of weeks which we're going to tell you about as well there's always a lot going on here behind the scenes and, and one of the best ways to make sure you stay on top of all of that is to subscribe to our real talk sunday message you can do that on our website just scroll down to the bottom of the page sign up it's obviously free every Sunday night in your inbox, a heads up and the inside track really on some of the things that we're working on. Charles Adler coming up in just a second. He has an interesting thread on his Twitter. I'm getting into it. I'm, I'm curious to know exactly what prompted it, but he's, He's talking about uh, kind of courage of conviction. He's talking about values of the heart. He's talking about the impact that social media can have on on how people feel, on how people communicate. And, and I'm interested to get into that. We're also going to, in about a half hour from now, uh, check in live with a group. Uh, you've met Nikki Booth on the show before, a few weeks ago, right before her departure for Ukraine. This is through the organization Firefighter Aid Ukraine. The question, how can you help Ukraine. There are Canadians over there right now assisting new police officers and firefighters. Like these are civilians that have joined the emergency response. They've been essentially tapped on the shoulder uh, to help out with the, the war effort there to, to help defend Ukraine against these Russian attacks, as well as, of course, provide first aid uh, emergency response in a combat scenario. Well, not everybody's trained up for that, to say the very least. And so Nikki's going to join us along with Vitaly Gritsko. He's, you've seen him on the show before with the State Emergency Service of Ukraine. Uh, they'll join us live. Uh, that's coming up in just a little bit. How was your weekend, pal? You it was a good. good. One? Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, good, man. We had a lot. Mm -hmm. We had a lot going on. I, I loved the story. This was a story that a lot of people were talking about, and I, I don't think you have to be a, a sports super fan to love the story of Matt Berlin. And this was one that played out on Hockey Night in Canada. If you haven't heard, this was the emergency backup goaltender for the Edmonton Oilers. He's a psychology student at the University of Alberta. Uh, 25 years of age, obviously a great hockey player, great goaltender, but but had, hadn't had a sniff of the National Hockey League. He was the Oilers' emergency backup. Obviously, teams will dress two goaltenders, and, and the emergency backup will stay in the stands. Well, long story short, the Oilers back up that night, Stuart Skinner feeling under the weather. And so Berlin, the Berlin Wall, as they're calling him, gets tapped on the shoulder to dress for the team as the backup on the bench. And then, of course, with a few minutes left in the third period, the Oilers with a comfortable lead up 7-3 against the uh, the hapless Chicago Blackhawks. They're having a tough year on the, on the midst, on the cusp of their rebuild. Connor McDavid, the team captain, comes up with the idea to get Berlin into the game. The Oilers starting goaltender Jack Campbell agrees it's a good idea. And so with about three minutes left in the game, Berlin steps in between the pipes and gets to live that dream three minutes on ice officially he has officially played now in the national hockey league john he had one shot on goal he made the save a nice blocker yeah, save perfect, deflected perfect it game. to the corner perfect game and he has the best save percentage now of any goaltender in national hockey league history there you go. At, 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 at <laughs> batting a thousand so we loved that story thought about using it for positive reflections presented by kubi energy at the end of today's episode but there's a story about a $40,000 act of kindness that, that remains right at the top of the list, and so that's coming up uh, near the end of the show. Is Adler ready to rock and roll mm -hmm. right now? Why don't we get to him every Monday? Of course, it's our pleasure to check in with the Emmy Award-winning talk radio legend that is Charles Adler, who I believe is joining us this morning live from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Yeah. Correct, my man? 
Magnificent Manitoba. Magnificent Manitoba. It's nice yeah. to see your face. Hey, you know, we, we, we treat these Mondays as a, a way to assess what happened over the weekend and, and, and look at the stories that were making news. And, and I was wondering, with, you know, with news of the passing of Hurricane Hazel at 101 wow. years of age, the longtime mayor, 12 terms, Chuck, uh, as the mayor of Mississauga, Ontario, Hazel McCallion. Uh, did you know, obviously, I'm sure, I'm sure you had a chance to interview her many times. Did, did you have like a personal friendship with her? Did you know her at all? I, yes, I did. I cannot prove this because I honestly don't remember. and There's no record of this. But I may have been the one. I don't mean to Forrest Gump you on this. You know, Forrest <laughs> Gump put himself into every episode in American history. But I don't mean to do a Forrest Gump here. But I have a feeling that I may have been the one to call her Hurricane Hazel. I may have been the one to give her the name. But I'm, but I'm not wow. certain of that. Do you remember? Anyway, she was. Do you remember the scenario? Well, the scenario was I just you know I, I had her on and she was one of the most impressive guests that I ever had, ever had on because he was a politician who did speak uh, straight from the heart. She wasn't pandering to anybody. She didn't care who agreed or disagreed with any single morsel of a syllable that she was using. Uh, she was just very, very rare, very courageous, and she was just blowing me away, okay? She was blowing me away, and I just, I, I have a feeling, and I, I could be wrong about this, that I was the one who called her Hurricane Hazel because she was like a, a, a hurricane. However, however, uh, I'm, I'm positive if someone does extensive research into it, it may she may have been called that uh, earlier. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to claim it. I just had a, a feeling for most of my life that I had called her that because I certainly, I certainly thought of her that way. Uh, very, very rare politician. By the way, uh, not to jump around, but we're always going to jump around because sure. we're human beings and real human beings in real uh, lives jump around. I'm so proud of Vander Kane for, for so many reasons, not just because he played for my, my Winnipeg Jets, okay? I'm just very, very proud of him. And I'm so proud of Connor McDavid because, I've you know, you talked about the Berlin Wall a few moments ago. Connor McDavid is, is clearly a player who is not just out for himself. He is the ultimate athletic leader, and he's always, yes, of course, it works out for him. It works out for the team, but the point is, He's always looking out for as many other people as possible and building that organization. I don't think that Evander Kane uh, would be playing hockey if it were not for Connor McDavid. Many people gave up on Kane. McDavid did not. So what he was doing for the Berlin Wall impresses the hell out of me. But I have hmm. to mention that Evander Kane over the weekend scored, and that hasn't happened in a while. And uh, he said uh, he's had a terrible injury, and Evander Kane is back. Yeah, the uh, it's always interesting when 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 one player goes to bat for another. There was uh, and we don't need to get too deep in the weeds on this either. But you remember Zach Cassian had his career resurrected yeah. in Edmonton, yeah. and and as the rumor goes. Uh, it was Taylor Hall at that point who played with Cassian in Windsor and went to yeah. the Oilers GM at the time, Peter Shirelli, and, and said, I, you know, I think we should give this guy a shot. Like he had, he'd had some issues, obviously off the ice. Uh, it was translating into, you know, on ice, a lack of opportunity on ice. And, and a lot of people say that Cassian now in Arizona might not still be in the league if it wasn't for a player like Taylor Hall going to bat for him. So you love hearing these stories behind the scenes. Well, you know, the thing is that many superstars don't behave that way, and I don't want to cast aspersions on every superstar that anyone has ever followed, but the Connor McDavid is a superstar of a much different rank. He's a superstar not just on the ice. He's a superstar off the ice, and he's always advancing, advancing, advancing others. Now, I always have to give credit to the Oilers organization because I've worked with so many different organizations over the years. Not every organization, Ryan, as you know, as you well know, not every organization gives a damn about what the superstar has to say about anybody else other than himself and his relationship with his coach and his management because their attitude is we've got these other people at a higher pay grade or a different pay grade, not a higher pay grade than McDavid, but at a different pay grade, and, and they're in charge of all those things. So just mind your beeswax and just stick to scoring goals. Right. Nobody in the Oilers organization and certainly nobody in Edmonton that I know of wants to treat Connor McDavid that way. And you put all of this into the hopper, and I think it's the kind of reason why I think I would bet the ranch that Connor McDavid will never, ever leave the Edmonton Oilers, and the Edmonton Oilers will never leave him. Oh, I, oh, I hope you're right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, it, boy, oh boy, it would just rip the heart out of this team if he ever were to leave. Uh, they've got to win if he's going to stay. And uh, it looks like the team is trending in the right direction. 
One of the things I thought was interesting, uh, you know, head coach and, uh, and and the captain both had this to say, uh, Jay Woodcroft, Connor McDavid, after the game, both very clear, saying we 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 want to be clear. We we have the you know a world of respect for the Chicago Blackhawks. We respect the Blackhawks. We mean no disrespect to the Blackhawks because th- th- that is a bit of a uh, you know you you, you want to navigate that in a way that indicates you're not you know you you're putting them into a National Hockey League game and the team is up. The Oilers are leading the Hawks at the time seven three. It's been a, a really difficult year for Chicago. They've got these you know they're two. Uh, you know, well, they're still stars, but, you know, Jonathan Taves, uh, obviously big Manitoba connection there, and then Patrick Kane as well. Uh, I think everybody agrees that both players will probably most likely be gone by the trade deadline, uh, wrapping up what has been an incredible three-cup career in Chicago. But when, when, you're, when you're making news like the aw, feel-good story, this guy never got a chance to, to make the National Hockey League. I'm talking about Matt Berlin, and now he's in and everything. It, it is, in a way at the expense of the Chicago Blackhawks. And I thought that the team was was uh, showed a good sensitivity around that in in saying we, we we meant no disrespect to this original six franchise, but but sometimes, you know, there's an opportunity to do something really special. I love this comment from Lauren in the chat. He says the Oilers are a lot more than just a hockey team. And then he he just used drops a bunch of one words like when you say Joey, everybody knows who he's talking about. It's the great Joey Moss. When you say Ben, may he rest in power. Everybody knows you're talking about Ben Stelter, the young fan yeah. that that you know just courageously fought disease for for so long that and will forever be uh, an Edmonton Oiler and an icon with the fans there. He talks about the pride tape, the map Berlin. There's there's a lot of cool things that go on that that I think can draw people in that might not necessarily be the hugest hockey fans in the world, but they understand the value of a great story. They understand the value of a great story, and they understand that this team, the people who run the team, own the team, and follow the team have a shared set of values. Mm. It is one big family. Mm. And values, I think, is something that we don't discuss enough on the program. Uh, And I think values, ultimately, is the only thing that really matters to people. Yes, issues matter, politics matters, sports matter. I, I, I get all of that. But what really matters to most people is their relationships they have with society, other people, and themselves that have to do with their own set of values. And I think sometimes in media, I think it's it's wise for all of us uh, to be um, self-critical. I don't care whether it's uh, uh, traditional radio, uh, podcasting, TV, the, the, the social media. That's not what's relevant here to me. What's relevant here to me is that whoever we are and whoever we think we are, we ought to be as consistent as possible faithful to our own values. And I am clearly always uh, self-critical, not because uh, I want to uh, parade uh, my own neuroses around on podcasts or on Twitter. It's simply because I think that's what encourages other people to be self-critical. And I think that we don't have enough of that in society. So in the interest of being self-critical here, I want to go back to a particular story that uh, you and I did Couple of months on this, a uh, couple of months ago on this program, where you confronted me with a situation which was the Supreme Court uh, tossing out this idea of giving people consecutive life sentences. You right. kill three people, you get three life sentences. In my life, my real life, when I'm with my real friends, real family members who I share values with, I am 1000% opposed to that. And when someone comes along and says, well, you know, this is the interpretation of the charter. This is what the Supreme Court people think of the charter. The Supreme Court people are at a much higher level than us in law. I just, you know, in real life, I zip that. I click off. I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear about how other people have better values than mine, more informed values. I know what my values are. I know what I believe, and I don't know what I don't believe. And when someone like Dylan Millard and I realize the name is not a household name across the country. It's a name that's well-known in Ontario, but I'm using it for a reason here to make make a point. When Dylan Millard killed his girlfriend, when Dylan Millard killed another innocent man, don't want to bog down in the particular story, but he kills his girlfriend and another innocent person, two innocent people, and then kills a third innocent person, his own father. Okay? So when this guy kills three people, and it's all first degree, and it's proven first degree, premeditated, all of it, okay? He is a thrill killer. 
and he gets a thrill out of killing three different people. When the judge gives him three, not one, but three life sentences, meaning no eligibility for parole for 75 years, meaning for all intents and purposes, he will never be eligible for parole. I remember when that happened, I was I was clapping. I stood up. I don't know where I saw the story. It's probably on TV, the web, it doesn't matter. I stood up and I clapped. And it made me love this country even more. And then we get to the story of Ryan Jesperson and Charles Adler on a podcast. And you just came at me with this. The Supreme Court just made an announcement and um, and no more no more of this uh, business. Uh, one life sentence only, no matter how many people someone murders. And that means eligibility for parole in 25 years. And that means all of the people who are families of the victims have to show up and basically beg the Canadian system to please put the killer, keep the killer in jail. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you came at me with this and what do I think of the Supreme court decision? And I just, you know, path of least resistance. I know that most of the people who follow me these days on Twitter, because the last couple of years I've had a, a chip on my shoulder about my relationship with, with Kenny uh, that got me into trouble with a whole bunch of other conservatives. I've been unleashing on, on conservatives on some of the aspects of modern-day conservatism I don't like. And I realize that much of that has brought me a lot of, let's just call them progressive people. Okay, I have to use the label progressive people, of which I'm not one in, in real life. In real life, you know, I'm, I'm still a, a conservative. I'm conservative, obviously, issues of, of, of criminal justice. And on fiscal issues and many others. No, I don't care about the WEF stories. I'm not a convoy guy. But for, for for all intents and purposes, I'm the same conservative I always was. And my friends don't don't feel I've changed a bit. We've got the same values. However, values in that conversation, I ended up trashing my own values because I followed the path of least resistance. And when you confronted me on the Supreme Court decision. I just said, yeah, well, you know, the, the Supreme Court, they know the charter better than we do. And I, I defer to the uh, the people in the robes and the charter because that was the easiest way for me not to have all these progressives uh, calling me a fascist and a Nazi and all the, and it, I, just, I just did that. Now, I think all of us, the only reason I'm mentioning yours truly is I think all of us do this in real life for a number of reasons. All of us just don't want conflict. I think we're conflict averse. And sometimes we say things that will reduce the level of conflict. Am I rationalizing being dishonest with you about my values? Probably. But I think it's a conversation that needs to take place. And I think all of us can find examples where we're not telling the truth 100% of the time, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, because we just don't want any trouble. Mm. I love this Bruce on the live chat just says values matter. It, it seems like you've been doing some, I don't know, some some soul searching, which I love it over the weekend. People can follow you on Twitter. A lot of them do at Charles Adler. And you, you, you noted that, you know, you say you've, you know, had, I don't know, 100 followers leave over the past week or so. You think maybe <laughs> yeah. because of, of something you've said. Let me also point out, by the way, a lot of people are bleeding Twitter yeah, followers I said, I just said, uh, people are leaving Twitter. But but uh, no, no, I, I said I, I, I'm, I'm positive it because I got some notes on it. I'm positive. I, I lost some followers over the weekend. I, I'm not complaining about, you know, 69,000 followers and in terms of. Most people who do what I do, that's that, that that's pretty darn good. Life has been very good to me. I'm living my best life. This is not uh, Adler whining, okay? Uh, I'm simply saying that I looked at that metric. About 100 people uh, drifted away in the last few days. And I'm uh, painfully aware, aware that uh, I stated to what, what to me is obvious, that Trudeau has peaked. Okay, this has nothing to do with Polyev, my feelings about Polyev, my feelings about the modern-day concern. Not, nothing to do with that. Every brand has a shelf life. Trudeau peaked a while ago. What did he peak six months ago, a year ago, two years ago? I don't know. I just know that he's peaked. And much of the stuff that he's saying doesn't inspire even people in his own base. People in his own base and certainly people in his caucus are very nervous about the idea of going into another election with Justin Trudeau. So I just stated the obvious. And yes, I got all kinds of polling data that uh, tells me that the majority of uh, the Canadians want Trudeau to resign. So once again, I, I didn't do anything radical. I stated the obvious. But in stating the obvious that Trudeau has peaked, 
all kinds of people were angry with me. Who, who are these people? These people are progressives, okay, left of center Canadians. I'm not casting aspersions here. They're good people, blah, 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 blah. They're not my personal friends. They're not my personal friends in Winnipeg or anywhere else. They're just people who follow me. I guess yeah, I, I'll call them virtual friends or, or followers. And they're upset because they're absolutely convinced that I am with them on every aspect of their progressive value system. I don't have their value system. Mm. I have my value system. Do I share some values with them? Obviously. But I know darned well the only reason they came to me was because I thrashed Jason Kennedy and I thrashed uh, Polyev to an extent. Why do I thrash Polyev? Because I want to, I want the C CPC, I want the Conservative Party of Canada to be more competitive. I don't like the fact that they do a lot of things that make them uncompetitive. That's not great for democracy. But it's not because I'm some shill for the Liberals. I mean, the, the convoy-type Conservatives are convinced that, you know, Trudeau has somebody coming to Winnipeg and stuffing bills into my shirt every single day that I'm a, I'm a whore for the Liberal Party of Canada. That's fine. They like to do that stuff in replies. I turn off replies most of the time because it just annoys me uh, or bores me or, or, or both and also gets me off my, my game because I don't want to spend my life reacting to people, most of whom are, are trolls and bots in the replies. But the bottom line of the bottom line of the bottom line here is values. Those people have their values, and that's fine. I respect them for having their values. But they had this this moment, I guess, an epiphany, if you want to put it that way. Uh, oh, my God, Chuck isn't exactly like us. So we're gone because some people only want to follow people who are exactly like them. And I think it's one of the things that contaminates Twitter. I think it's one of the things that makes Twitter a distortion of reality, so distorted that even people who are on Twitter, especially if they're on people on Twitter regularly, even they end up, whether they like it or not, just let's be honest, they distort their own personalities in order to accommodate the environment. Hmm. We had a really interesting conversation. Deirdre Mitchell McLean, Stephen Carter joined me on Friday in our Real Talk Roundtable, and they've established this this new TPA, like a third party advertiser. A lot of people will call them PACs, political action committees. Um, it, it's the progressive PAC, Charles. And we were trying to get to. I mean, they, they've just launched. Like their website's not even up yet, and uh, it was kind of a soft launch. And we brought them on to talk about it. I had some questions. I was curious to know are they are they endeavoring to impact policy on the conservative side, like you know, in 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 the context of a, a looming Alberta election this spring into the summer you know are they trying to are they trying to see if there's a viability for the for the progressive conservative approach to governance like we saw in Alberta for four plus decades or are are they endeavoring to drive people to the NDP because they're not establishing a new party so it's got to be one of the two yeah. and, and they you know the conversation moved along I would say to the point where they, they made it clear that I think they're 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 uh, they want to make sure that that so-called progressive values enter the chat, so to speak, that both parties that are vying for votes, that are vying for Albertan support, are reflecting those so-called progressive values. And what I thought was particularly interesting is that after the fact, the so-called progressives, let me say the left on Twitter, were indicating, based on the Real Talk roundtable, which I appreciated because it drove a lot of downloads, they indicated that, that they didn't think that the panelists would pass the progressive purity test. My right. words, my words, not theirs. Yeah. Uh, but but the common, I mean, that, the that, common that, theme that, that, was that's very honest. I mean, there are a lot of people who are whether they're out there on the right or left, they, you know, they're into this purity thing and they want to shun people who aren't. And unfortunately, many of us end up reacting to their game by not confronting them when they're getting too too pure, too sanctimonious, too self-righteous for us. Hmm. Well, I think that I mean, it's it's really interesting because I'd be curious to know whether you think that is is Twitter impacting politics or politics impacting Twitter, because we see purity tests. You know, if, if I can say, I don't want to say from both sides because there's more than two, you know, federal political parties as an example. Uh, but but you you see it a lot. I mean, on the on the conservative side as well. You know, it sort of seems to be these days a climate that feels like maybe you're not conservative enough, or maybe you don't uh, buy in it's, enough, right? It's that that sort of camp idea where the flags sure. are planted, and you know, you've got to sort of try out, which back in the day struck me as the opposite of how parties would operate, trying to be as attractive and appealing right. to as many people as possible. Well, now that, look, we talked about apologies the other day, we said some people are apologizing too much, and <laughs> 
I was apologizing for something once again to just get get rid of the get rid of the issue. Okay, when I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know. And that's what most people. That's why most people say I'm sorry, whether it's off the air, on the air, Twitter, whatever. And and on Twitter, of course, Twitter reminds me so much of of high school. You know, uh, in in high school, we we had people who were. Uh, so uh, self-righteous about the latest cause that they were on. I don't have to delay any, all the causes in different eras. We had different causes. But, you know, when, when a cause becomes almost like a, like a fad, uh, all of the cool people feel that they've got to support that fad at 100 percent, and they call out those who don't. And Twitter's like that all the time. You know, if someone makes a statement, whether it's five minutes ago or five years ago, why don't you apologize? Apologize for that. You know, we get into this uh, whole whole. Uh, Bit and and then people do apologize most of the time, but once again they get they apologize not because their their values have changed, simply because they want to get rid of the nuisance, they want to get rid of the fly, and so is Twitter affecting politics? Absolutely, everyone in the political system, whether they want to publicly say so or not, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll just tell you because I, I because I know this because they all contact me, whether they're on the conservative side, NDP side, liberal side, doesn't matter. They contact me, so I, I know this. Okay, this isn't my opinion. This is knowledge. Okay. Everyone working inside the system, all of the operatives and all of their assistants and all of the politicians follow Twitter. And whether they like to admit it publicly or not, Twitter reality is their reality. Does Twitter have uh, an outrageous impact on political life? Absolutely. And when you've got, and I'll call them what they are, idiots, because, because either they don't understand or they're just deliberately being idiotic. When idiots say, Politicians don't pay attention to Twitter because only a small percentage of Canadians are on Twitter. That is C-R-A-P. They do. They do pay attention to it. And most important, the people who are always in their ears pay a lot of attention to it. So does Twitter have too much power? Of course it does. Does that mean that one can just turn it down because one wants to? Of course not. And is one being a hypocrite because one, whether it's Ryan Jesperson, yours truly, or many people who are watching and listening to this podcast or many of us on Twitter, of course. And yes, generally people who pay attention to podcasts, generally people who pay attention to politics, those people are much more on social media than other people. So yes, distortion Social media distorts our sense of reality. Social media even distorts us. Social media distorts democracy. Social media gives way too much power to the convoy and other interest groups. All of those things are true, but that doesn't mean we can just turn it down. Over the course of history, there are many things that we don't particularly like, but they continue to exist. Uh, Tracy says, realistically, political parties cannot meet all your values. Most people support parties based on the best fit. I think that's a great comment as well. Uh, this is, uh, you know, people, this is resonating with people, what you're saying. You know, Kathy says, if you're shunning people for not being pure enough, you're treading into very dangerous territory, right? And and Megan wonders, like, what what even is the the definition of, of progressive these days? Like, uh, Megan says, we progressives need to stop infighting and actually work to make better happen in Alberta. Others are saying, you know, some of their best conversations have happened with people that have very different opinions than them, right? And, and I, I think that's a great point as well. Um, can, I, can I give you an example, Ryan, of where yeah. progressivism takes us off the cliff? Mm. Okay, so right now, I mean, I'll, I'll take it right to the, the heart of Alberta. You've got uh, essentially Notley versus Smith. I realize that others are going to be offended. The Alberta party has, sorry, uh, either Danielle Smith or Rachel Notley is 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 the premier. Uh, you know, th this co this coming spring, that's just the way uh, it works. It's a two it's a two horse race. Those are the two horses. Now you've got each party that wants to make sure it absolutely nails down its base. And on the progressive side, that would be the NDP, the progressive side. One of the things they do to nail down their base is to make sure that they keep reminding people that they are more for the what I would call the traditional definition of universal access than the conservatives. The conservatives are a threat to 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 healthcare and there are all kinds of issues around uh, healthcare and decisions have been made that support the idea that maybe the conservatives don't care as much about healthcare as the NDP. And so Rachel Notley and the uh, progressives, the NDP. Uh, which, of course, includes the union movement, will make a very big deal out of, out of having as much health care as possible in public facilities. And they may they may jump the shark on this because many of us normal people, whether we're calling ourselves conservatives, progressives or, or nothing, many of us 
don't care as much about the facility. We are used to visiting doctors' offices and private facilities. We're used to visiting the dentist in his private facility and the chiropractor and the optometrist. And everyone. So the idea that we are wedded to this idea that the only place we can get treatment, medical treatment, is a public, you know, government-owned facility, that is nonsense. But it's a purity test, okay? It's a purity test with the progressives. When you're a progressive, you've got to feel that any any move to uh, deploying resources in private facilities is the American system. Jack Layton, who was my personal friend, did this all the time. I felt it was fraudulent. I'm watching on Twitter now that Rachel Notley is, is quoting Jack Layton and it's getting a great reaction from fellow progressives. I think it's one of those things that creates a divide with you know um, between progressives and just regular. I'll just call it regular Albertans in this case, regular Canadians who don't buy into this idea that unless the facility I'm in is owned by the government, it's impure and it's American healthcare. Mm. Yeah, and and I and I don't think I mean you know wouldn't it be wonderful if you could get a group of ten people around a table that are maybe you don't know how they vote or even if you do and you say we're going to go around the circle and everybody share their best idea on how to because you bring up the healthcare example maybe surgical wait times let's say what's 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 everybody's best idea on how to address this and and everyone would respectfully listen to everyone else's best ideas and then hash it out but but it becomes uh, one of two ideas one of two approaches pitched by political parties that are dismissed by the other as either this person doesn't care about you right or right. this person doesn't care about debt for future generations or this person doesn't care if you die addicted to opioids because you can't manage your pain because you're waiting for surgeries and i just think that it gets so dismissive i want to let our audience know by the way you and i didn't plan to have a big long talk about this today you and i basically have a coffee date every monday uh, <laughs> and we invite a few thousand people maybe more than that to come hang out with yeah. us and and hash it out but but i really appreciate this and i can tell that it's resonated with the audience and i, and I love that it's been banging around in your brain all weekend something for us what to matters all most, think about i just want you know? people to know that what matters most no matter what you hear from from people no matter what you sometimes hear even from your own mouth what matters most is what you believe in your heart not reacting to whatever chips you have on your shoulder all of us if we're honest admit that there we we have chips about certain situations about certain people and very often we're making our statements our righteous statements based on those chips not what's in our hearts Tracy says, here's an example right now of an issue that I do not agree with Charles on, but I'm sure willing to hear his views. Well, I like that. She's, Tracy says, I have studied the issue for like 10 years and says, I don't think it's good for anyone but the rich. But look at this. We're having dialogue. That's the whole point. And it's kickstarted by the titan of talk, Charles Adler, every Monday right here on Real Talk. Thanks for this, pal. We'll see you again in a week. I live for these coffee dates. Thank you. Hey, me too, my man. That goes both ways. That's. Charles Adler. I love it. That conversation was presented by our friends at Eden Landscaping, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and the area. I told you last week I had a chance to break bread with Mike, the owner at Eden. And I said, Mike, you, you got to give me one thing. I said, what's your elevator pitch? People have a lot of choices if they're going to invest in landscape design. Uh, if they're going to transform their outdoor space and bring it to life, what's the number one reason why they got to go to Eden Landscaping? He says, because we've never encountered a construction challenge that we haven't been able to solve. A lot of times, Eden will get called in when other landscapers have essentially thrown up their hands. Uh, whether it's a drainage issue, whether it's a design aesthetic issue, whatever it is, Eden prides itself on being able to find solutions that are respectful to your budgets, designs that can evolve, designs that are forward-looking. What does that mean? Well, check them out online today at landscapeedmonton.ca and find out. You can check out their portfolio, learn more about their services, and understand more about their philosophy. Landscapeedmonton.ca is where you will find Eden Landscaping. If you follow me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, I think for that matter, I posted it there as well. Uh, I hope that you had a chance to see what I have declared to be the best burger in the league. Johnny, this is one that I picked up at the Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park. This one in particular from our home Dairy Queen in Westmount. Look at that, baby. The triple patty, two kinds of cheese. It's all part of that signature stack burger lineup. 
But ladies and gentlemen, today I want to sound the alarm and let you know that if you're going to hit a Dairy Queen in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or Baseline Road, do it today or tomorrow. The end of the month means the end of the buy one, get one free offer for Dilly Bars and DQ Sandwiches. When you're in there at a Dairy Queen of Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park, you make sure you let them know that Real Talk sent you. And our friends at Athabasca University want to remind you that it's a perfect time of year to check out AthabascaU.ca. Why? Because they can virtually guarantee it's going to be a great fit for you regardless of your situation, regardless of what's happening with your family, regardless of what your current work schedule looks like. Hey, sometimes it's the unforeseen challenges that can throw us off kilter. Maybe there's an illness or maybe there's a, a pull on your time that might force you to step away from your studies as an example. Well, in in, in this rigid post-secondary setup that a lot of the brick-and-mortar universities have, that would be a non-starter, right? Not with Athabasca University. There's the flexibility to learn at your own pace with their world-class accredited online programs, a schedule that suits your lifestyle no matter what pops up. Hey, if you're thinking of maybe upgrading, maybe maybe pursuing a master's degree or a doctorate program, more than 35 different programs at AthabascaU.ca. And the best part, the only commute is to your device. You can check out AthabascaU.ca today. Well, it was just a, a short time ago that Nikki Booth sat around this Real Talk table in studio prior to her departure to Ukraine where she is one of the Canadians that are uh, doing phenomenally uh, important work over there, powerful work, helping train new firefighters and police officers. These are civilians that have been called into action, teaching them about combat care. This is first aid on the war front. Uh, Nikki now in Ukraine, and she joins us live uh, in the context of her role with Firefighter Aid Ukraine. Also joining us is Vitaly Gritsko, who's doing work with this Canadian contingent. Uh, Vitaly with the State Emergency Service of Ukraine. To both of you, I will say good evening. It's right around the supper hour out there. Uh, thank you for joining us live. Nikki, I know we're not going to ask you exactly where you are. There are safety concerns, et cetera, et cetera. But, but how long have you been there, and, and what can you tell us? us about the experience so far well uh i can tell you uh as you can probably tell we're in a blackout right now so our um internet connection might be a little bit slow uh, might be a little bit choppy uh but we've been here uh since january uh 24th i believe yeah and um we still have a few more days to go we just wrapped up our second training class where we had 24 students so we've trained 48 students uh, to date so far. Vitaly, it's uh, wonderful to see your face again. You were kind enough to join us on Real Talk several months ago. Uh, can you tell us um, from, from your end, from your perspective about these uh, individuals, these men and women that are receiving this training and, 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 and the scenario that, that they're in, exactly why they are, where they are? Okay, um, so uh, I'll start with a little intro. Like... Uh, there is a memorandum between the partnership about the partnership between the firefighter aid Ukraine and the main department of the state emergency service of Ukraine in the Ivano-Frankivsk region. So that's why it was decided to uh, conduct the trainings in uh, our region. I will not say where exactly, of course. Uh, so uh, we decided to bring to these trainings our. Uh, medical specialists, the chiefs of our medical centers and the teachers from our uh, uh, training centers. So the people who are familiar with medicine and who are familiar with teaching others. So after this small group of people will uh, receive the, uh, the knowledge, they will be able to share it with other people, like with uh, other our SPRs. And uh, so that's 
Looks like we might have a, a slight interruption in the connection, which is fine. We can work around that. Uh, Nikki, I don't know if you can hear me still. If, if, if it's frozen, it's okay. But but if you can hear me, you were uh, kind enough to, to pass along video uh, to us of some of these training exercises. Um, Johnny, are they are they with us right now? Are we working on the signal? We, we may have lost the signal, which is fine. This is all part of it. I mean, there's a they're in a war zone right now and uh, in the middle of a blackout. So it really is remarkable to even be able to see their faces and, and get this signal right now uh why don't we endeavor to bring them back and we'll and we'll see what we can do and 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 in the meantime you want to roll that video do you mind take a look at this this is this is i mean just to give you a bit of a perspective check on on what this training exercise looks like Uh, these these are men and women that have have been tapped on the shoulder to serve in first response like put yourself in this type of situation i know how i would feel if, if i'm walking a mile in these boots uh, yesterday you were a civilian today you're a new firefighter or today you're a new police officer and you're stepping into a situation for for reasons that should not be uh understated well let's be honest it's it's because people are putting themselves in the line of fire people are putting themselves at risk you know fire halls are being targeted uh, by russian drone attacks and bombs these are people that are showing an incredible amount of courage and resolve these are ukrainian civilians they're standing up in defense of their country and they're learning right now what what appears to be techniques uh, stitching techniques it appears and i want to ask nikki and vitaly about this if we do have a chance to get them back it almost looks, Johnny, like they're like they're 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 learning how to sew or to stitch on 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 a cut of meat. Uh, is is that what I'm actually, seeing, Nikki? Is that what that is? Yeah. Actually, what they're learning is how to do a needle decompression. A so needle what, de- what is, is that? So that's where if uh, there's pressure in in the lungs and the chest, and you need to like do like release that pressure, you stick a needle in. So what we're teaching them is how to find that. Like, so we use the ribs um, to give them a sense of what it's like to push a needle through basically flesh. flesh. Yeah. Yeah. So most of them have never done this before. So um, that's what we're teaching them is, and, is in that, in that sh- video is that's what we're doing there. And am, am I accurate, accurately characterizing who, who these people are? I mean, these are, these are folks that maybe a week or a month ago, just, I mean, there's nothing ordinary about life in Ukraine right now, to be clear, obviously. Uh, but these people are, th- th- these are not longtime first responders. These, these are people that must be a little bit wide eyed about what they're learning right now and what, and what they're being called to do. So it's a bit of a mix, Ryan. We've got some people that that have been in the medical field and they are trainers or they work in clinics and um, others that are taking their, uh, you know, just about ready to graduate from first responder um, training. Um, and they're going to, they're, they are used to working in, you know, um, the those that have medical experience are used to working in clinics or hospitals. Um, so they're learning, they're, they call themselves little doctors. Some of them that that work out in um, in, in um, like smaller communities. Um, so they this is teaching them how to um, take their skills and then apply the uh, combat piece of it. Um, apply tourniquets. Um, you know, stabilize a fractured pelvis. Uh, decom- needle decompression. Um, things that they may not actually know. Is that fair? Um, from the part of it, but I just wanted to clarify that. Um, I assume you, we lost the connection, so you didn't hear what I was talking about. Um, we decided to put in these groups not only the rescuers, but the people who can effectively share the received knowledge, like the chiefs of the our medical centers in different regions, like the trainers from our training centers who teach in medicine, and so. This is a people who will be able to effectively share the received knowledge among other rescuers. And um, I think it will give us uh, a lot trained rescuers through the time. Vitaly, what do you see with with regards to the, the resolve of the Ukrainian people, uh, with regards to where morale is at, where people's spirits are at, the images that we see in Canada and the United States and around the world of these these drone attacks and these phosphorus attacks and apartment civilian residences uh, being targeted. I mean, very, very dramatic footage, moving footage, heartbreaking footage. And yet the Ukrainian people, this resolve, uh, it strikes me as as truly remarkable. 
what do you see from your fellow Ukrainians? How would you describe it? Yeah, I see that the Ukrainians are very resilient. And, you know, um, we are brave and I'm not, uh, I think I'm not able to talk like from the perspective of every Ukrainian. Sure. But I can just uh, say that what I'm seeing is uh, we just um, doing our best to, uh, to, to hold on and, you know, like um, all this... Uh, help all this support from uh, our friends uh, our, our just good people in our countries it's uh, means really a lot it's i i just can't describe how much uh, we appreciate this how deeply we appreciate this and how grateful we are for for the humanitarian aid for for trainings for ju- just support just everything so it it helps a lot Thank you. Ryan, can I tell you a bit of a story, like Please. from my perspective with, with, with that? So, um, you know, I'm, I've shed a lot of tears being here, um, but it's none of it's out of pity. The, the Ukrainian people are some of the um, most inspiring, resilient um, and courageous people. Like um, all of the, you know, the 48 people that have come through, they're, they're incredible. Um, but then just the people on the street that are willing to help, um, us and and support us and and you know we're in blackouts sometimes all day and and most of the night um, we've had some air raid sirens um, uh, as well uh, throughout some of the days um, and yet um, people are so incredibly resilient and courageous um, it's I think that will stick with me for the rest of my life, to be honest. You probably, Nikki, uh, tried to do, I mean, you shared with us a little bit in your your appearance on the show when you were here on Canadian soil, how you were preparing for it mentally, uh, how you were wrapping your mind around the, you know, the the obvious danger and and some of maybe the emotional toll that that it might take. What what caught you off guard or what surprised you or what what made a particular impression on you now that you've been there for about a week uh, that maybe you realized that you, you weren't able to properly prepare for until you were there yeah I, I don't know that you can prepare yourself to be honest um i think there's a couple of things i mean we we did a a, a long drive to get here it took us about 48 hours uh, to travel um to get where we are and the night that we showed up i i don't want to cry i'm trying not to i'm trying to be that you know strong pr <laughs> communications manager but um we showed up um and there was a group that had dinner laid out for us um they had waited for hours because of all of our delays and everything and we came in and they sang songs to us and they fed us and they showed us around their facility and yeah they've just been through so much ryan and yet like they they never stop giving like ukrainians are absolutely incredible they they don't stop giving um so the the amount of um i guess love and friendship um and pride um, is so incredibly moving um, that they're going through the some really incredibly difficult things, and yet they they showed up to make sure we felt welcome, mm. and um, and to cook us all this amazing food. Um, and then also, I think the air raid sirens and the blackouts. I I don't think anything quite prepares you for your first air raid siren. Yeah. Um, and knowing for the second one that we had, second or third one, that um, there were missiles going over um our region um so i think there's some of those pieces that you you don't prepare yourself for but um i think we're all so grateful um to be here to be around the amazing people and to have the amazing support of our hosts they've been absolutely incredible and looking out for us and, and taking every precaution for us um and I think I think I can speak for the the whole team that we're ready to come back and um, help and continue helping. And we haven't even left yet. Well, I want everybody to know that you can check out firefighteraidukraine.com uh, if you'd like to learn more about what they're doing. Also, if you would like to make a donation, I mean, I think we all want to know what can we do to help Ukraine. Here's where it can start at firefighteraidukraine.com. Uh, emergency first responders, hospital staff, aid workers working tirelessly to save lives on the front lines and in war impacted zones. And, and, and in many cases they're becoming targets themselves. Vitaly, everywhere I look, 
uh, and, and I'm sure Nikki has told you this, and I'm sure you already know this. I know you have some, some friendships and, and professional relationships with people from Alberta. Uh, but it seems everywhere I look, there are Ukrainian flags flying here and people stand in solidarity with you and, and people endeavor to know what they can do to help. What's one thing you would like to say uh, to the Canadians or to people around the world that will hear or see this interview? What message would you like to, to have resonate with them? Um, so I would like to say that, like I said before, we're really grateful for everyone, like for for, for your help and support and uh, it is really needed for now like yeah so we we need it and we're really grateful for it so that's thank you very much from all my heart and like i sure in this way i can tell like from like every ukrainian that we really appreciate it mm. amazing nikki we've got to let you go uh is there anything that you want to say in closing i'd hate to miss the opportunity I, I think uh, thank you to everybody that has supported Firefighter Aid Ukraine to, to get us here and, and uh, volunteer hours and donations. And, and um, so we hope that people will continue to support us. Um, but the, this experience has been incredible and, and uh, we really appreciate our partnership. Um, and uh, thank you, Ryan, for, for having us back on and helping us raise awareness of, of what we're doing. Obviously, it's, it's the least we can do, and and uh, we do everything we can to offer our support and to send a very clear message that we stand with Ukraine. Uh, that's Nikki Booth with Firefighter Aid Ukraine. That's Vitaly Gritsko with the State Emergency Service of Ukraine. Uh, to both of you, uh, stay safe, Godspeed, and we'll speak with you again soon. There you have it. In the midst of a blackout uh, in Ukraine, checking in live from we won't say exactly where because, well, Quite frankly, John, they don't tell us because we want to make sure we don't spill the beans. But, it, you know, air raid sirens, it's, it's never lost on me. I don't know if when, when you were a little kid, if you ever experienced that or not. But I remember uh, back in the day of growing up in Calgary, there was a big old air raid siren the, uh, in, in the neighborhood of Marta Loop where I went to school. And from time to time, it would fire up like maybe once mm-hmm. a year or something like that. They do. a, And I don't even think they do that anymore, really. I mean, I feel like it's, it's more digital now. People get the notifications on their phones and things like that. Plus, yeah. we're. We're so far removed from those types of threats, but what a perspective check. Yeah. I was uh, listening to the radio today and just, it's we're coming up on a year now. Like, did you think a year ago we'd be talking about, you know, Canada sending tanks to Ukraine Wild. to offset, you know, a conflict with Russia? It's just the world is wild right now. Amazing work Nikki's doing. And this is, and this is not, uh, I'll, I'll be sort of careful how I put this, uh, because you know, I don't think that necessarily Ukrainian people would be uh, thrilled with the premise of my observation. But if you got everybody as honestly as possible on the record a year ago or around a year ago mm-hmm. when this war started and when when Russian troops were invading Ukraine, and you remember the visuals. I mean, who who will forget the the the, the kilometers and kilometers of tanks, right, and these armored vehicles and the Russians rolling in and. How many people thought or realized that Ukraine would essentially say, hell no, mm-hmm. and stand up to Russia like it has? No, I guarantee uh, Putin it, didn't. Guarantee <laughs> Putin why, didn't. But this is just, it's been going on so long. And it's this this threat of nuclear war looming is why, you know, there haven't been big mm. actions from North America. And mm. it's just, it's a scary time. Yeah, scary sure time. is. So again, we, we always want to add, you know, p- the questions that people ask, like, what can I do to help Ukraine? Well, here's one way that you can channel your support again, firefighteraidukraine.com. Amazing stuff. Coming up in just a second. I mean, if that's not inspiring enough, we've got another super cool story for you. These conversations happen because of sponsors like our friends at Friesen Brothers. Hey, we're just a couple of days away from the 1st of February. The 1st of February means 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more at all 16 Friesen Brothers across Alberta. We also wanted to direct you to their website, Friesen.com. They present the future of Alberta food. It's an artisan culinary challenge. That's coming up. You can hear more about that through the month of February. We'll make sure that you have all those details that you need, but also a reminder that with Valentine's Day just a couple of weeks away. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Valentine's Day just a couple of weeks away. Friesen Brothers is doing custom charcuterie boxes. You can do the sweet 
You can do the savory charcuterie box for for the love of your life or whoever it is that you want to make feel special on February 14th. You can pre-order them online at Friesen.com. You can pick them up in store. Friesen Brothers is Alberta growing and Alberta owned. Hey, a big shout out to our friends at Park Power for powering our Real Talk RJ hashtag and driving a lot of these conversations we have on the show. The number one thing about Park Power, as far as I'm concerned, is the money that you're going to save and the better service you're going to receive. I mean, straight up, plainly put, that's what you get when you partner with your friendly local utilities provider. Their new promo code here for this year, Real Talk 23. That's Real Talk 23. It's a bundling promo, which means if you bring your electricity business to Park Power, use that promo code, you're going to save 50 bucks off your first bill. You bundle that with natural gas service, you got it, another 50 bucks. And then if you bring your internet service to Park Power, another 50 bucks. How does saving 150 bucks off your first bill sound? Pretty good, right? Real Talk 23 is the promo code to use at your friendly local utilities provider. That's Park Power at parkpower.ca. And how great to run into the leadership team of local environmental services at the Chamber Ball over the weekend. Nice to see CEO Chris uh, Labossier, the the president rather, I should say. Uh, You know, Chris, of course, has had a big vision for how this company operates, but also what they mean to the communities where they live and work. You can learn more about who is local environmental services by learning about their core values. Boy, that pairs nicely with what Charles Adler brought to the table this morning, doesn't it? Local is about so much more than just garbage and recycling. They believe that communities deserve better. You can learn more about what that looks like, what that means by visiting localenvironmental.ca. Every Monday, uh, thanks to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, you can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. We bring you a story. Sometimes it's submitted by a Real Talk audience member, a firsthand story about somebody paying it forward or a, a random act of kindness. Sometimes it's a story in the news that that caught our attention and, and really made an impact. And that's the story this week in Positive Reflections. Presented by Kubi Energy, this is a story of a $40,000 act of kindness. You know, you see these... Uh, folks with the metal detectors making their way down the beach yeah. <laughs> i've always wondered what an interesting hobby right yeah. the metal detectors up and down the beach well this is a story of joseph cook and joseph uh, just a short time ago last month uh while on a beach in florida he was on hammock beach it's called in saint augustine florida well his metal detector went off and so he did a little bit of digging and, and and all of a sudden he found this we're showing it to you on on youtube look at this thing this is a forty thousand dollar diamond ring he said it's the biggest diamond he's ever found on the beach and he said he's found quite a few as a matter of fact which makes that hobby make sense he took it to a jeweler who assessed it uh, at a platinum band a precious gem worth 40 grand And so Joseph says he couldn't believe it. So he posted on social media and he started receiving calls from a a number he didn't recognize. Now, of course, you can imagine maybe more person than one might want to claim this ring. And so so he had a couple of questions. There were some details that these folks were able to verify. And he realized as he met the owners of this ring on St. John's County Beach, where he was able to return that piece, he realized that not only was this theirs, they were able to verify it, but some of the sentimental value behind this ring. Now, Joseph says that, of course, the owners were tearful. He says that there was a very emotional reunion with this ring that carried so much sentimental value. He says it felt really good. Quote, I've returned $60,000 worth of stuff this year found on beaches, but nothing ever close to this before. He says, every time I find an item, I do everything I can to return it. And it seems that every time I return an item, I find something better. So karma's been good to me. And I'm always happy that I can give back. Now, one of the coolest things about this, Johnny, is when he's out and about with his metal detector on the beaches, he actually wears a chain around his neck with 25 different rings on it. Wow. He says he always hopes that someone that may frequent that beach, someone that may have lost a ring in past, will see him, approach him, and maybe find their lost ring around his neck. There's 25 of them there. 
How about a big shout out to Joseph Cook of St. Augustine, Florida. Just an average guy who's doing something completely extraordinary, including reuniting people and their precious sentimental items. Hey, if there's somebody that you're thinking of right now, somebody who's like Joseph, somebody who does these random acts of kindness just because, because they want to make the world around them better, we would love to hear about it. You can submit your positive reflection to us, talk at ryanjesperson.com, or find us on any of our social media channels. And every Monday, thanks to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, we'll tell these stories to make sure that our week starts off on the right foot. What a perfect way to mark a Monday. Hey, we've got a big week coming up on the show. As mentioned, the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic coming up on Saturday. Tomorrow, we're going to show you a painting. Artist Louis Lavoie has put this thing together for us. It's an original, and we're going to be auctioning it off. We're going to unveil it on the show tomorrow. If you subscribe to our Sunday email, you've already seen it. Plus, our bourbon launch. Details there for our Patreon supporters. And mark your calendars for our Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber coming up this Friday. We're going to meet... The founding members of the Magazine Club, they're endeavoring to find out what to do about the fact that a major percentage of women in the workforce say that, quite frankly, they don't feel comfortable being themselves. They don't feel comfortable sharing their opinions and making contributions around the boardroom table or otherwise. The Magazine Club's endeavoring to change that, and on Friday, we'll find out how. Make it a great Monday, friends. Thanks for telling your friends about Real Talk. Thanks for clicking like on the YouTube episode, for rating our podcast, and for sharing our interviews. It means a lot to us. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.